Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Park Report interview podcast. Hope you guys are enjoying all the podcasts we have going on. You can always check everything out on parkreport.com and our podcast networks, of course. Uh, I'm really excited about the interview I have today it's with uh, Misha Mansour from the band Periphery, one of the really influential guitarists of the last 10 years for his sound, for his involvement with the Gent movement. Periphery is a really successful band with what they do. They have a brand new album called Periphery 4. I'm really pleased to welcome Misha Mansour. Hey, how are you doing, man? Cool, man. So great to finally meet you, man. I spoke with a couple of guys from the band. I think I did an interview with Matt a while back and Jake. Last time you guys were in Fort Lauderdale, never got to speak with you. So happy to finally do so. Yeah, uh, we finally knocked that off the, the list. <laughs> off the list. <laughs> uh, first of all, congrats on the new album. <laughs> Uh, Periphery Four. Now I've it reads Hail Stan, but I've heard you say Hail Satan. Is it is that what it's supposed to be? Is what's the deal? Wait, it says Hail Stan. <laughs> it looks no, like. It it. So I'm gonna have to have a talk with our manager about this. Too. That's that's unacceptable. So, uh, we've been dealing with this for weeks. It can't be saying Hail Stan. It's Hail Satan. What does Stan mean? That's ridiculous. Why would we call it Hail Stan? <laughs> it's Hail Satan. Get it right. <laughs> well. All right, so uh, we'll just assume it's Hail Satan then, and we'll leave that at that, uh, of course. Yes. Um, but anyway, the album officially comes out tomorrow. Um, yeah, it it's, does. It's fantastic. But you guys, I guess, put it out. Is that right? I mean, I saw some posts. You, you know, you're trying to get a jump on some downloads. What's the, what's the official story there? I mean, it's, it's nothing too complicated. It's, uh, you know... The album started to leak. I, I think a lot of people don't understand why, but once you have physical copies going to warehouses, you know, once it, when it's all in your control, uh, when it's all within the label and everyone on your team, it, it's very easy to contain a leak. And we have, like, watermarked links for, uh, for reviewers and, you know, people in the industry. But once you have physical copies going out, you know, brick-and-mortar places then it's out of your control because who knows, like someone just takes a CD when it's stocked in warehouse. They usually like get shipped out a week in advance just to make sure they're on release date and someone will invariably just upload it then. So the second that we got a whiff of those, it's like, well, people might as well be, you know, what will happen is someone will upload it to YouTube. They'll get all the views off of it. And it's like, those are our views. So we're like, well, we might as well, if it, if why not beat the beat those guys to the punch and just upload it ourselves? You know what? Maybe you guys discovered yeah, a new way around this whole thing because it seems to be one of those one of those things that I don't know people feel the right to do it for some reason. Who knows why? Yeah, I mean, I think there's this weird uh, there's this weird gray area where if you've pre-ordered the album, you feel like you have paid the band money. Uh, and and again, I wouldn't blame someone for listening to the leak. You know, if there's an, a way to hear an album I was excited about early, I would do it too. So just sort of using that logic, the logical next step is, well, if people are going to listen to it, and if you can't can't really play whack-a-mole with that and, like, get them off offline, yeah. people will just keep re-uploading it. So why not just beat them to the punch and have them uh, view our video instead of someone else's? So you guys are sort of born into the era of uh, illegal downloading and, and, you know, Napster and all that kind of stuff, and now fast-forward to streaming 
this is something you've probably dealt with most of your career. You know, how much of a challenge has that been for a band like yourselves? It seems to have some some pretty good success, but still has to to deal with this kind of issue. I mean, I think I think as you said, we we were we were born into this, so it's kind of all we know. I think there are bands that we have toured with um, that were of the generation right before that and that had to transition through that. And it was probably a bit more difficult for them because all of a sudden the status quo wasn't good enough and everything was different for no reason. Uh, and that sucks. Whereas for us, we kind of knew like, okay, this, this is the deal. So love it or hate it, this is just the game that we have to play if we want to do it. Um, and that's kind of been our attitude since. Is part of uh, figuring out a way to work around it and live in this era, the, the making your own label, the three dot, is that part of the that? And how much of a challenge is that part? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we want to make our own label just because a couple, in, a couple of years into the Sumerian deal, um, started to realize like, hey, maybe we, we have what it takes. And, you know, um, as much as we had a good deal with them and, you know, I think we had a good run with them, there was a lot of things where they didn't really necessarily understand our vision. And although our deal was set up to where we had creative control, you know, you still have to have these discussions and conversations. It's better to have everyone on your team kind of on the same page. And I think our, our band is very much a story of sometimes, you know, the, the best person to do it is yourself when you've got a vision when you got a very specific vision for what you want. So it was kind of a, a logical next step for us to just be the label as well, because we could have, ourselves be the label in exactly the capacity that we want and sort of have everything be uh, released and conceived of. Uh, everything is just planned the way that we want and everything makes sense. And it's not a discussion. It's just, it gets done, right? Yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, if it's working out and uh, you guys have always been somewhat self-sufficient, it seems like, I mean, the, the, from the get-go, I mean, you're, how you started off your career and how the band developed and had success right away. I mean, it seems like you guys have something about what you guys do that seems to work. I think I think we strike a bit of a balance where we know what we have a strong vision on and what we can handle, and we do that stuff ourselves. And we also are aware of the things that we don't handle well and the things that we are left better left leaving to professionals to do and then we hire out on those things so it's like kind of an efficient thing because we're not good at everything and those things we'd be badly served by trying to do ourselves it'd be a waste of money and time so put our efforts into things where it actually matters to us and we'll make a difference and then we hire out and outsource the, the assets so we're not true diy in that sense is what i'm getting at but it's a sort of an efficient model as i put it the the new album I mean, the production on it, the sound, the, the playing, uh, you know, the performances all around, it's all just awesome. How do you view the progression of the band musically? Is this, was this a direction and, and where the band is now, what you always envisioned? Is it sort of evolved organically into what it is now? I'd say it's definitely evolved organically. Like I tell people, we've just gotten better at being a band. It's like any relationship, except maybe five times more complicated, <laughs> but like, you know, you work on your communication. You, you you have a group of people that want to work together that see the 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 prizes more than than your ego or uh, or anything in particular that 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 deals with the self. It's really about the song, the band, you know, larger things, which is easy. You know, it, it, it's it's all very like rhetorical, but 
to actually put that into practice is is a different thing. It takes time. It takes effort. You have to work together. You have to have conversations. You have to all be on the same page. And I think I've been very lucky to find people that are genuinely on on that path, right, to where we have been able to work together and our problems that we've had have just led to us being closer and genuinely working at being a better band uh, and working together better. So this was the most fun I've ever had making an album. It was the easiest album for us to make in a way. Um, we were able to take our time with it. You know, the things that we, uh, the changes that we made, like taking more time and like kind of revisiting stuff and, and not really having like hard deadlines to begin with. We're all experiments to try to get a better result. And I think all those things led to a directly better result for us. It's probably things that we will take to the next time that we work on music. Um, so, yeah, it's just we're just slowly getting the hang of this thing. <laughs> well, look, for me, I mean, I've been a fan a long time. I, this for me, it's my favorite record, you know, so far. Uh, I don't know why I just really dig all the songs, especially the opening track Reptile, which I think is just epic masterpiece. But uh, thanks, so. you thanks know, so much, man. Yeah, I mean, talk about that first song, and uh, you know, just it's what, like seventeen minutes, and I mean, it's it goes through all these changes and everything. But how did that song start off? You know, shorter, and it just got longer, or how did it get to where it was? That song was actually the first song that we wrote for the album. <laughs> So what had happened was it'd been, you know, we, we kind of get in this mood where it's like, Hey, uh, you guys ready to write? And everyone's like, yeah, we're ready to write. And I think by the time like Jake, Mark and I got together, we were just itching to write and he was messing around with this, uh, tuning we've never used before. Uh, and usually when that happens, it just sparks a lot of ideas. And I mean, the length of a song is really just determined by like, is this done or do we have more to say? And it might've been because we were just, you know, just itching to write. It might have been because of the new tuning or what. I mean, we, I don't think we ever try to write long songs because, you know, as hypocritical as this sounds, I think long songs are pretty stupid. But, um, <laughs> like, you know, if it happens and it, and it works, I'm not going to argue with it, right? Uh, we're, we're actually really bad at one thing, which is, like, following a plan because the plan for this album was eight songs in 45 minutes. And it, that was the plan for Periphery 3 as well. Uh, and we failed that time as well. Like we're not good at like, but I promise the next one, we're really going to try and make it eight songs in 45 minutes. <laughs> I think anything that's longer than that is kind of a waste. You're talking to a guy that runs a prog website. So anything that's 17 minutes or longer is, is cheered, you know? Yeah. But, but I, I guess what I'm saying is it was definitely not on purpose. Like the, the we, we always enter with this like really like lofty goal and we always fail to meet it, <laughs> but it's just because like, you, you know, we really, when we write, we're just following, I always just call it following a thread. I almost feel like I'm just watching the process happen. Like it's, when it's at its purest, you're kind of just watching it happen. And I think I've learned to trust that. There was a point in time where I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't just trust. I should try to inject some of myself or like, you know, try to try to control that a bit. And I've just learned uh, with time and experience, it's best to just let that happen and follow it wherever it may go. Even if it doesn't, uh, fit into your plan, which very often it doesn't. Like, I didn't realize this album was going to be as heavy as it was. I didn't actually particularly want it to be, like, a heavy album. Uh, but that's the way it ended up, I guess, you know? What I like that you guys do a lot with, with your songs and and musically, for example, I mean, Reptile's a perfect example where the first chorus, 
you know, the drumming is more sort of straightforward. The second chorus, musically, it becomes different, but yet the melody and the singing's the same. You know, Matt's playing mm-hmm. some crazy blast beat, you know, insane thing for the second chorus. So how often do you guys look at certain parts that maybe are the same part, like a verse or a chorus, and who triggers the, okay, that part's the same, but I'm going to play something different here to mix it up? I mean, it, it could be anyone. Uh, we we genuine we genuinely and generally try to have repetitions be slightly different. I think it's an opportunity when you have something repeating. It's an opportunity to have a slight change. Uh, I don't want it to be gratuitous uh, because then that kind of defeats the. No, the, they, the they, they sound like, great. Like yeah, that, it doesn't that, sound like that. They at need all. to suit the part. But but the, the 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 shorthand for what I'm trying to say is like. It would always be nice if you were to, say, play a random section of a song, and I would know exactly which repetition it is just by listening to a few seconds of it, if that makes sense. So you wouldn't be like, oh, it could be any one of the three choruses because they're all exactly the same. There's always something that like kind of tips you off to wh- where you are in the song. Um, so that's maybe more the approach. And it could just be a subtle thing, subtle change. Um, that one... Yeah, we went for like the black metal second chorus. Honestly, just kind of because I thought it would be kind of funny. Um, and then it sounded really good when we did it. Well, <laughs> so, that, I mean, the know? two parts together, you know, because the singing is actually a really nice melody that Spencer's singing there. Yeah. And you got like background vocals well, and then the music is just nuts. So together, it's like a really yeah. cool sound. It was just kind of like a way to shake it up for the, for the, the, the time the chorus comes back because, um, you know, Matt's not the biggest fan of blast beats, so I thought it would get shut down. But you know, he'll always do it. Like if it, if he always says like if it suits the part, he'll do it. He doesn't want to do it gratuitously, but he'll he'll play whatever if it makes the song better. And like so, he liked it. And then Spencer was like, "Oh, dude, like, like you know, we could have like an epic choir there." And I'm like, "Well, what if we have an epic choir and you're just screaming the part, so the choir's carrying the melody?" So it's like you know, you just the ideas just bounce off of each other like that that's very much how we write is just kind of just, Oh, what if, what if, what if, and it's kind of going back and forth. Then we take a look like, Oh, was it, is that better or worse than before? If it's better. We keep it. If it's worse, we don't. Yeah. No, right on that. that fairly part is, fairly that part simple is awesome. writing. I always tell people, I always tell people writing a periphery album is a fairly simple process. It's not very hard. <laughs> well, yeah. When you're good and <laughs> it comes along. No, um, when you have, it's not about being good. It's not about being good. It's about having a group of people that have good chemistry and that you trust because none of us are masters of our instrument, but we work really well together. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, that cheesy, uh, the cheesy saying, was it like the, some the is, some is greater than the part the dream or, or whatever. <laughs> or yeah, whatever. Just one, one of those, dumb <laughs> one of those things, things, but that's kind of true. Right. But like, it, it's very much that it's just like kind of when we get together, we just, we just have very good chemistry and we can kind of trust each other. And we have a shorthand to where it just becomes a very efficient process and a very, easy and fun kind of thing it's not it doesn't never feels tedious and then it just allows us it doesn't it doesn't make the workflow get in the way of the creativity i think that's what the block usually is with band is like the actual workflow or the logistics of writing together working together actually impede the creativity and then you end up tired and you're working with that instead of actually writing but i think we've gone to the point now where we can really just kind of let the creativity flow and see where it goes yeah um you know one of the issues that i guess that happened recently uh you know nolly leaving the band but i guess it mm-hmm. looks like he's still on the record to some degree so talk about mm-hmm. that what, what's the story there 
So Nolly was just very unhappy on tour. This happens. Not everyone realizes whether they'll like tour or not until they do it, unfortunately. I've seen it happen all sorts of ways. He really wanted to like touring. He really wanted to, to be in a band. And I think he just realized that he didn't like it. He genuinely didn't like it. He was, uh, it, it, it's tough, man. It's not for everyone. And he was getting a lot of production work and it was getting to the point where, it, you know, he was losing out or having to compromise production work to basically have an obligation to touring. So he came to us and he was like, look, guys, I'm unhappy. I don't want to tour anymore. He didn't assume that we'd want him to be in the band, but we're like, yeah, can you stay in the band? But even then, like, after a while, he was like, look, I, I don't feel involved in the day-to-day -day stuff. I don't actually feel it's fair to you guys. And I don't think he wanted the obligation of the band, but he enjoys working with us. So basically, we hired him. And this kind of is how we're working our dynamic to, to everyone's advantage. Because then he doesn't have an obligation. He doesn't have to work on our album. But we'll be flexible for him, and he'll be flexible for us. And we enjoy working together. But now it's not like, oh, you have to have this part of your schedule open. You can't accept other work that you may be very willing to accept because you have an obli obligation to periphery. So I think we've been able to finagle a way where we can get what we what we want from Nolly um, as long as we're a little bit flexible. And he, he has shown a lot of flexibility to us. And in a way, it still feels like he's uh, as essentially a part of uh, a part of the band as he's always been. Because he's, he's never been as much... Uh, uh, a big guy on the writing side. He was always more on the engineering and the mixing side of things, you know. His skill as someone who mixes and and uh, you know producing. I mean, it's it's become in high demand, and you almost where you can tell his work now on certain albums, the stuff he did with Haken and some some of the stuff with Devin. Yeah. I mean, was that noticeable from from years ago? They were like, oh, this guy's probably going in this direction. Well, yeah, it was pretty funny because the first tour that he ever did with us, he filled in on bass just because he's a, he's a better guitarist than anyone in, in periphery. But, like, you know, it was just uh, our bassist at the time was getting married and he filled in. And on that tour, he was asking me about production stuff. Cause, and I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'll show you what I know. And, like, within a year, like, he was teaching me stuff. You know, he was just really taken aback by that stuff. And um, during the Periphery 2 session... I think just because of circumstances, like we ended up with a lot of times where like, it was just like Nolly and I in the studio having to work by ourselves. And Nolly kind of took that as a challenge to learn as much as possible. And like, I think that gave him the sense like, Oh, I could, I could do that. And that was maybe like the catalyst for him to where he's like, you know what? I think I'm going to pursue this. And he's just so meticulous about everything that he does that like, I just knew that he would, do a great job with it. Kind of in the same way that when we hired him on bass, you know, he's like, he's not a bassist, but I was like, dude, I hired you because I, I want us to make a bass sound that's ours. And I know that you are the guy that's going to figure it out with me. And that's what we did, you know? So he has that mindset and whatever he put his, his, his mind to, he, he just excels at because he really puts in the work and, uh, and just obsesses over it. So the bass thing that you're, you're saying it's noticeable in his, in his production style for sure. I mean, you can yeah, tell. Yeah, it became a signature thing for him, you know? And it's because he basically, like, invented his own bass sound, you know? And it's yeah. a big reason why we haven't replaced him, because there's a lot of phenomenal bassists. But, again, as a bassist, like, his chemistry working with us and his understanding of what it is that I'm looking for in the bass tone, I don't have to explain anything to him. I... You know, I write most of the bass parts on on the album, and I just send it to him, and he figures them out by ear. So I just send him the bass parts, and they come back finished. That's amazing. <laughs> so, 
it's just really tough to beat that. It's really tough to beat that. You know, nowadays, having more experience and knowledge like you're talking about in the studio and, and, and experience touring, how much has changed how you approach a, a writing session? Are you, you know, do, do you tune out? Uh, are you listening to other music? Are you taking in new influences? Or how do you approach things now as, as opposed to when you did, you know, 10 years ago? I, I think that part is actually like fundamentally the same. I find it very hard to listen to other music when, when we're, when we're writing just because, you know, I don't want to listen to other music. I'm already listening to enough music. I'd rather have silence, you know, uh, when, when I don't have to listen to music. Uh, and we'll take breaks, you know, we'll play video games and we'll hang out. We try not to overwork. I think one of the biggest lessons, actually Nolly is the one who, kind of taught us not to overwork ourselves because it's really easy on the front end to go just absolutely crazy hours and then find yourself like completely burned out in a week. And he was the one who was like, yeah, maybe try doing like an eight hour day and seriously cutting it off and don't forget to relax, have fun and do other things, you know, pace yourself, you know, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon kind of, kind of philosophy to it. So I think that was probably one of the biggest changes, but fundamentally the way we approach everything is pretty, pretty much the same. Do you anticipate ever trying to do, you know, yourself rather, just branch out and do something completely different? You know, some some guys have an ambition to write a jazz record or a classical album or something. I mean, do you, because you seem sort of really talented in that sort of way that you might want to try something different one day. I mean... You know, I did an electronic project with Jake, which was us not really knowing what we're doing, but <laughs> literally forcing ourselves to learn in the project. It's called Four Seconds Ago. I'm really proud of that. Uh, that was actually the first three dot records release. So, like that, uh, that that's something that I'm really happy with. It was a really fun process, and it definitely scratched an itch. Um, and the same thing with uh, with Haunted Shores with Mark. You know, we work on that because it's that kind of extreme death metal, black metal kind of project that's just way over the top and doesn't have the responsibility of us ever having to play any of that stuff live. So, you know, I definitely have some itches I, I scratch. And I think, you know, I've, I've always thought about doing a solo album. I think I enjoy writing with people more, which is why I haven't done it, but I'll probably throw one of those together at some point. I always say like it'll be the year that I'm talking to people in. So I'll say it's this year, but it's just a matter of having the time to, to do it, you know? So you guys are currently on the road. Um, I'm so, you know, what, what's sort of the next year? I mean, it's just, just working this album to death and then uh, plans for another one down the line or, or, you know, what's the next, what's the next few years for you guys? I don't think we work our albums to death. I think our philosophy has always been tour very strategically. So we don't tour very much. Um, we're, we're probably going to do a, a, we're, we're going, we're going to, you know, uh, uh, Mexico and South America for a short run uh, in June. Then I think the plan will be to get, you know, three, three and a half week U S run headlining run at some point before the end of the year and maybe a short European run. That'll be it. You know, um, we have a lot of other things that we, um, that we focus on at home. Like I've, I've, uh, my businesses and, uh, everyone has their, their stuff, you know, so it's, it, we, we enjoy our downtime. And I think you probably have seen this too, but the touring market's just so oversaturated that if you kind of fall into that game, you might be doing your brand a disservice. So we actually tour very strategically so that 
hopefully people realize like yeah if you if you don't catch us now you may be like a couple of years before you catch us again no that's true some some bands are like weren't they just here <laughs> and uh right you know that's that's totally how it is uh, but you know i will say i commend you guys because i'm down in south florida we don't get a lot of bands like you <laughs> Uh, you know, prog or metal or that kind of stuff down here. You guys come down here. Whenever you tour, you do make an effort to come down here. And, uh, you know, we appreciate that a lot. Uh, so so hopefully you guys keep that up. Um, listen, man, thanks. Uh, great to talk to you. Like, a, a, you know, I'm a fan. I love the new record. Uh, I, I hope to have this out in time for tomorrow. But if not, the album is out, basically, uh, out April 5th, yep. uh, Periphery 4. Pick it up, see the band on tour, support this great music. Thanks, man. Good luck to you on the road. I, thank you, man. All right, talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks to Misha for the interview. You can check out the new Periphery album out now and catch them on tour as well. For more information, visit their website and the band on Facebook. For upcoming news and interviews, please check theparkreport.com. Follow us on Facebook, at The Park Report on Twitter and Instagram, and download the podcast on our podcast networks and iTunes. We're going to close with a track off Periphery 4. This is Garden in the Bones. Thanks.
Yeah.